we can't recycle our way out of fashion's problems at the moment. So we need to look at degrowth. We need to think about like an actual reduction in the overall skew count that is produced. Hello and welcome to the Age of Plastic podcast with me, Andrea Fox, talking about all things sustainable through the gateway of that ubiquitous item in the, what century are we in? Is it the 21st? I think it's the 21st. Uh, 21st century item of plastic. And now if you missed our last episode, I was chatting to the brilliant host of the Climate Solutions podcast, Matt Rees, all about climate change and COVID-19. It's a topic that's come up so often in the past year with our guests. Uh, If you haven't checked that out, make sure you go back and listen to that episode. Coming up, as always, another brilliant guest for you today, because I know nothing. So (laughs) I'm just the conduit for the sensible people who can talk about uh, climate change. I don't know. Have I had too much sugar today? I feel like, yeah. Um, I've had too much coffee today, clearly. On the way as well, an eco-life hack if you'd like to get in touch with some comments uh, on the podcast. Oh, criticisms. I will take those too. Maybe an eco-life hack or a guest suggestion. All of the contacts are where you are listening right now. And we'll have a little reminder halfway through this episode. On to today's guest. I have to admit, I've been a little bit of a fangirl. The brilliant... Amy Nguyen. I have been following her for a little while on social media. I've learned so much from her social media account. She runs Sustainable and Social on Instagram and also has a brilliant newsletter that comes out once a month. She's got a brilliant background in sustainability as a strategist um, and basically has a lovely, a great blog as well. So if you want to find out about anything from fashion, beauty, business and more, she's been doing loads on this since 2018. Uh, turning basically those sort of big, heavy research articles that were quite scholarly into something that's really easy to digest on Instagram posts for her audience. Now her main job uh, is working and helping businesses to integrate like sustainable development goals into their daily operations. So if any of this sounds exciting to you, I'll put all of her contact details at the end. Today she's joined me to bust some plastic myths. Is it a myth or a fact uh, that recycled synthetic fabric is a great sustainable choice? We talk about microfibers and also the elephant in the room of greenwashing. That's all coming up on today's Age of Plastic podcast with Sustainable and Social's Amy Nguyen. Thank you so much for joining me on the Age of Plastic podcast. Hello, thank you so much for having me, Andrea. Uh, now, you are from the brilliant Sustainable and Social um like Instagram that's how I connected with you you've got a brilliant blog you've got a brilliant newsletter which I've been loving and I have to say I've I've really kind of connected with all your amazing content that you've been putting out because I don't know it just really sort of speaks to me because I think sometimes there's so much to digest isn't there and I think your page makes it really easy to sort of like digest all of these sort of scientific papers and all this news and everything that's out there about the environmental space but also it's quite joyful right because like me you're quite a fan of you know a bit of beauty bit of fashion oh thank you so much that is so kind yeah I that is one of my main aims with SNS is to kind of break through the really complex hard-hitting stuff and just make it really accessible to an everyday audience making it quite punchy a little bit sassy but understanding like there are solutions as well and I think definitely having a mixture of things we want to know about science or you want to know about policy and we want to know about economics too but we also need the lifestyle stuff the travel stuff when we're allowed to travel again and the beauty stuff and the fashion stuff because together it's the most powerful thing. Yeah there's a bit of joy to be had in lip gloss right? <laughs> <laughs> 100% If you don't have a sustainable serum in your makeup bag, what's going on? (laughs) 
<laughs> Hell yes, I love that. And I, there is, you know, like you say, there there is joy to be had in life. You know, we talk about, oh, we should be traveling less and we should be wearing less. And that is all 100% true. But why can't we still enjoy the travel that we do do and the, and, uh, the fashion that we do enjoy? And that's 100% what we're going to get into in this chat today as we bust some myths and facts around fashion and about recycling. But first up, I just wanted to ask, what was sort of the moment for you when you really decided, okay, I want to do my bit for climate change and set up SNS? So I think there was a few defining moments. So I left my job in um, corporate communications and marketing to go and do a master's. And I was lucky enough to go and do some of that in Italy, where I majored in international business and management, but focused on sustainability, CSR, supply chains and fashion and luxury management. So I wrote a few reports and one of them was on like the global value chains of Zara. And I was like, oh. What? So I used to work right down the road from Tottenham Court Road, literally on a Friday, I'd be like, boom, in Zara, cute skirt, let's go. That's not and then I read this report and it really changed things for me. Wow. Um we can obviously go into that a little bit later, but another defining moment was when I had a talk and a lecture given by a climate scientist from the European Commission. And, you know, you can watch like the inconvenient truth. You can see Al Gore with like his hockey stick curve. But when it comes from a scientist, like right there in the flesh and you just kind of sat there, just like, okay. And you talk about, you know, 2030, which now we are literally eight years away from. Yeah. So that was definitely a moment for me. And then after I graduated, I just thought there's so much I've learned. There's so much I want to share. There's so much passion. Like everyone who I speak to about this is like, wow this is incredible I didn't know this like even the most educated people in the world wouldn't have questioned like where their clothes were from half the time so that's what really started SNS and that was in 2018. Amazing and you've done so amazingly well with it um I will put all the links to the newsletter and the Instagram account and everything in the show notes but I think it's about time we got into it. So let's bust some myths and facts. But first up, I think sometimes when people think of fashion and they think of clothing, they sort of forget the link that it has with the fossil fuel industry. But there's a massive one, isn't there? Yeah, I mean, when you look at how this happens across the supply chain, so obviously making clothes is very energy, chemical and water intensive. So you need a lot of energy to um fuel that but especially at the moment because we've seen an absolute explosion of polyester in garments especially in cheap fast fashion garments think pretty little thing think misguided you know those infamous like 5p dresses are probably all made from polyester or some sort of hybrid mix of synthetic fabrics and the problem with that is polyester is essentially plastic what it is is like plastic pellets that they kind of melt down into these fibers which can then be spun into the cheap garments so I think we often kind of distance ourselves from the fact that essentially when you're wearing polyester you are wearing a fossil fuel Mm, yeah completely so let's kick off with our first myth versus fact then Amy recycled synthetic fabric is the sustainable choice is that a myth or is that fact that is a myth. Recycled polyester is so popular at the moment, whether you're talking about H&M Conscious Collection, whether you're talking about Zara's Join Life, 
whether you're talking about, you know, sustainable brands, think about um, a sportswear brand like Tala. Mm -hmm. They use recycled polyester and all of that. So they're a great brand in terms of like their sustainability, like policies. But I think often we're led to believe that recycled polyester garments are always the most sustainable option. However, that is not entirely the case. Sometimes they can be more energy and water intensive. Also, I think there's the belief that because they are made from recycled materials, that they can be infinitely recycled. And that is probably the biggest misconception is because actually most of the time they aren't able to be recycled. So they aren't circular materials. Often as well, you might get a mixture. So it might be like 70% recycled polyester with just like 30% normal polyester, which essentially means we aren't able to decompose it in a sustainable way so that it can be reused. So we've got a lot of excess value of materials that are just sat there that will probably go to landfill anyway. Yeah, it's like two things mixed together almost makes it harder to recycle. And it's that thing, isn't it? That word recycle, we go, oh, good, it's made from something recycled. Um, But really, I guess the word we should be using is downgraded because that plastic bottle, although, you know, plastic degrades, it's not going to be turned into a plastic bottle infinitely for its whole lifetime. But essentially, that is that is what it's what's happened to it. It was taken away from being able to be a plastic bottle and reused in clothing. Yeah, that's absolutely correct. And I think there's another, not a misconception, but it leads us to think that, oh, because it's recycled, it's fine. So I can still buy loads of them. Mm. Now, we know that the the issue with fashion production at the moment is crazy i can list all the you know ellen MacArthur foundation facts but i won't bore everyone with those but essentially we can't recycle our way out of fashion's problems at the moment so we need to look at degrowth we need to think about like an actual reduction in the overall skew count that is produced regardless of whether they're made of recycled materials or not yeah, 100%. And I think that is kind of the elephant in the room whenever you're talking about fashion and, you know, sustainable materials and green lines and, you know, all of these buzzwords that we struggle with because they're often, there isn't transparency with what they really mean to the consumer. But I guess the the big thing is we need to buy less and we need to be making less. And that's a really hard thing it's a hard sell to the fashion industry right i think i read a stat that 60 percent we own 60 percent more items of clothing now than we did 15 years ago so think about that and that's just 15 years never mind 50 years and i remember aja barber saying that 28 million items were sold in asos's black friday alone there's only 66 million of us in the uk we can't keep producing and purchasing as much as we are whatever it's made out of no absolutely that's so true and there's a really interesting fashion paper called it was released i think it was last year called earth overgrowth logic Mm -hmm. and it essentially sets out a blueprint of how the fashion industry can become more sustainable and limit limits acknowledging limits to growth is, is one of those things and that also relates to kate Roughton's donor economics where she talks about love that book yeah being (laughs) agnostic about growth you know like gdp isn't really sufficient anymore because 
it doesn't account for natural capital and like biodiversity value and ecosystem services, which are really, really important for the fashion industry as well. So yeah, there's lots to unpick there. Yeah, totally. On a more positive note though, I think people have realized that their levels of consumption, even prior to the pandemic were probably a little bit too much. And, you know, as we've seen with the boom of like the secondhand and rental markets, I think Mm. that's really promising. And you know how much more value we get from reused clothes now. So I think that there is being, there is a culture shift in the UK. I'm not sure about in Asia and places like that, but um, definitely in like the UK and the US, slowly but surely. That is good to hear. And I suppose another thing that we should touch on when you are, you know, buying a material that maybe is a recycled synthetic fabric is the microfibers and micro microplastics, right? I think um, there's going to be 15 million metric tonnes of plastic in our oceans this year, according to a stat that I saw, and about 35% of them are actually microplastics from our clothes, which is terrifying. Microfibers and fashion is something that, people are still getting to grips with and you know it's so scary at the moment they released the report which actually looked at um water water pollution in the arctic and how much of a percentage was microfibers and it was a ridiculous level Mm. and i think that's really scary also because we've seen scientific papers which have done research on things like microplastics being found in fetuses and you know it's it's becoming ubiquitous everywhere. There's also this crazy statistic which basically says every human ingests up to a, like a plastic credit card worth of plastic every day in some form. Yeah, which is that's, madness. That is madness. <laughs> but but so, but we very rarely. It's a, again going back to the thing about linking fashion with fossil fuels. We very rarely link our fashion choices like our sports leggings with microplastics in the ocean there's still a bit of a disconnect there that we are becoming more aware so obviously i think in those cases laundry habits washing with like your guppy bag or like your core ball is so so important as well but that's another problem with synthetic fibers that we talked about like polyester recycled polyester nylon is that they just shed microfibers and alarming higher rate than say cotton or linen or hemp yeah so let's talk about some thing that might be sustainable then for you what do you think is the most sort of sustainable fabric choice that we can be looking out for (laughs) another minefield opened (laughs) it is such a minefield i know so, so many people always say hemp and i think at the moment there is definitely a leaning towards things like hemp and linen that's grown responsibly even when it's organic cotton that is sustainably farmed people say that it's still very like water thirsty crop so Mm. it depends which way you want to look at it and also i think there's a lot of nuance to it is because we can talk about like environmental sustainability but then it's also like how is it produced by people like are those people paid a living wage are they protected do they have collective bargaining rights all the kind of human rights aspects as well so i guess we should decide like 
it's, it's a classic managerial answer it's like well, it depends <laughs> <laughs> and it is so hard and like you say that's a massive thing as well you know we've seen still massive sales from the likes of asos last black friday when we were all still pretty much in lockdown i know we're a few weeks away from christmas being cancelled november last year but you know the sales were going up and yet we had still all of these companies and campaigns asking um all of these fast fashion producers to pay their garment workers and you know there's still issues surrounding that despite the fact you know everything's on sale uh, at the moment and they've been able to utilize things like putting their staff on furlough and you know there is there is a cost isn't there a human cost of cheap clothing as well as a planetary cost no, I definitely agree. And there's so many instances at the moment, actually. I find it incredible how much it's in the headlines at the moment that some, you know, there's recently, last week, I think it was Primark suppliers have been locked into their, supply workers have been like locked into their factory in Myanmar. And there was also a case where like workers in a factory that supplies H&M um, 25 of them uh, accuse their manager of sexual assault <sighs> um, and those are just like two examples out of however many and I think that's where obviously supply chain transparency is really important like the use of technology to make everything really traceable we think about blockchain and human mm. intelligent network systems so that's another added layer of complexity as well way beyond the way beyond the synthetic fibres or not. hundred percent. Yeah, we've spoken about blockchain and how that might help the planet on the podcast before. And we've also spoken to uh, Birdsong, a brand who do, um, you know, they call themselves an ethical brand, but even they, when I spoke to Sophie Slater, say they're not necessarily sustainable because, you know, there is, there's waste created, you know, along the line there. And I think that's quite, for me, that's the thing I like to look at these days I don't know about you Amy but when it comes to like parting with my cash to put some clothes on my body I'm like are they being honest cat where 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 are they talking about how sustainable they are and are they sort of going look we're not perfect because I think that is the thing that really speaks to me yeah a 100% progress over perfection is definitely valued more amongst consumers so I did some research for this fantastic company called compare ethics they're um, a Forbes 30 under 30 startup and they verify mm. the sustainability credentials of brands across 10 different category areas and that looks at everything from their supply chain to their certifications um, you know workers rights you name it but the research has found that consumers or citizens are so much more likely to trust brands when they're honest about where they're currently at and what where they're going to be like hey listen do you know what patagonia is a great example actually because mm. they did this jacket and it was called the campaign was called everything but the jacket so no everything but the zip or something like that and it was basically everything was sustainable except for the zip and it's just been like you know they didn't greenwash that at all. They were just like, hey, like we're still working on it. Like we're a big brand, but we're not perfect, which I think everyone values so much more. Completely. That's such a good example. I absolutely love that completely. Um, let's move on to another myth then, shall we? Um, to do with recycling. So when it comes to recycling, is this myth or fact? We separate our recycling, put it in the correct bin, so it's going to be sorted and recycled in the UK responsibly by our councils. Is that a myth or is that a fact? Oh, unfortunately, it is a myth. <laughs> to, a, to a degree, it could it is true, but unfortunately, I think we've been misled 
in this country that oh i had this super like utopian dream notion that yeah I recycle everything and it'll go to the recycling place and it get disposed of or like transformed into something that's great no that's actually not <laughs> the case so <laughs> unfortunately a lot of, i've actually got the stats here so the uk only has the capacity to recycle seven percent of the plastic we expend two thirds of our plastic packaging waste is exported and now this industry is worth 50 50 million pounds in 2018 so i'm sure it's actually wow. increased because i recently read this morning that our recycling rates have got worse um <gasps> i don't know maybe people are just lazy during the pandemic yeah um, and they've got more stuff coming in as well than they probably have ever had before like more stuff being delivered to the house but yeah so so most of our plastic that can't be recycled here is actually shipped to other countries now those are mostly in southeast asia we look at like vietnam malaysia thailand um indonesia now i would say china but actually china put a policy in place called the national sword policy and that was a couple of years ago and that basically banned the imports of plastic to their country and there's mm. some graphs where you can see um, why they've done that as well but really really interesting and i think this brings into a really interesting conversation about like our accountability and responsibility when it comes to plastic consumption because the asia pacific accounts for 82 percent of the world's oceans plastic yeah, most of that has probably come from us and our mindless consumption here. So I feel like that's a really interesting part of the conversation. And also the fact that the European Union have legislated on this now and they're bringing in a ban to so that you can't export plastic to other places. Whereas because of Brexit, technically we don't have to comply. Mm. I know. I've, I've, I actually saw um, another brilliant EU directive that another guest from the podcast, Everyday Plastic, was talking about to do with tech, that the EU is trying to make it so that up to 10 years, you should be able to go back to Apple and go, you know, this bit of my phone is broken. Can you replace that bit of my phone? So they would repair rather than replace, which would hopefully stem an, another issue, which is all of this massive consumption of tech now. You know, our toothbrushes are tech. Everything is tech. Everything is linked. I think that's brilliant. But obviously, now we're out of the EU. Will we stick to that? And like you say, the plastics industry is making so much money how is it that we are able to produce all of this plastic yet we only have the capacity um to you know recycle seven percent of it and we're not even using the recycled plastic you know how often do you see something in in the supermarket that's like a single-use plastic that's even made of recycled plastic right i don't know not not very often at all no, I think yeah that's... it's hardly anything I think that's where also I know we've previously spoken about this, but where the conversation about the fact that big oil is betting on plastic as their kind of plan B, especially as like we uptake to renewables and um, with the demand for oil and gas falling, they're betting on plastic production. You know, when we look at fracking, we look at um, cracking ethane and things like that. And it's just quite, it's quite scary to think about. And I think that's, an interesting kind of angle as well. I think BP's energy scenario um, will account for, which presumes plastic production, will account for 95% of their future growth. Wow. 
And and we think, you know, Age of Plastic podcast, we all think we're living in an era where everyone's like, oh, yeah, plastic's bad. We're all getting more used to this. But really, we're using more than we ever have before. And even the companies are betting on that being their growth area over energy. I think that's, yeah, that's quite... It's also misleading. it's also misleading as well because like when you think of like the big oil companies now you think solar panels wind turbines because that's what their marketing is it's so powerful like that and even the Amazon advert with the woman who's working on like putting solar panels on their roofs or whatever sorry love <laughs> if you're listening but every time I see that I'm, I get I come out in hives <laughs> I've not seen that but that in itself is a kind of I think it's a deliberate greenwash isn't it yeah completely completely yeah I just oh it's yeah I don't really know where the answer is with that I wonder about I saw that Tesco talking about you know recycling of plastic um if we haven't got the capacity within sort of councils which are spending loads of money on all of these you know um the companies that sort out your recycling it's very unlikely that the council's doing it themselves but I think Tesco was saying you can start bringing back plastic to their stores and I just don't know why it's taken us this long maybe to put that back on them but then again what will happen to that is it a TerraCycle downgrade issue I, I think the plastic take back is an interesting one, actually kind of on that tangent as well. I've recently seen that Wilco are collecting people's old disposable masks as well, because obviously oh. with the with the pandemic, we've seen such a rise in like the use of single, you know, even like um, sanitizer bottles as well as like our face masks. But I think they're actually collecting them all in now, which is quite good. So I, I wonder what they'll do with them. Yeah, exactly. Hopefully not burn (laughs) um okay let's go on to another myth well my plastic recycling waste is collected broken down and repurposed into other items i think we've sort of touched on this already but myth or fact (laughs) it's it's a myth like i think we always think that if it's got recycled on the if it's got recycled on the bottom that it's always going to be okay but that's not necessarily the case unless it's like stored at the right temperatures in like a dry area you know otherwise if it's going to rot like there's no you know in a damp facility there's no way that we can repurpose it through the machinery um in the way that we're meant to so it's a bit of a it's a bit of a myth on that one too yeah and going back to just the recycling as well when it comes to recycled materials we talked about the difficulty in separating them and the fact that that takes a lot of energy if you happen to have a recycled material like you say that's a bit of polyester little bit of nylon um but in some cases, there is some benefit to that, you know, into adding your clothing that you can't use anymore um, into a recycling bin. Like, what would you, what, what's your sort of thoughts on, on those sort of ideas? In terms of donating clothes? Yeah. I think, I think it's a good idea. I, I have, I feel like donating clothes sometimes also incentivizes people in the same way that we talked about that they can buy more because they're like Mm. oh it's fine I'll buy more so then I'll donate I'll donate it and I don't know if you've heard of there's a place in Ghana uh, let me just I'll just remember it begins with a k and essentially it is the second hand fashion capital and the amount of clothes 
from secondhand stores, also like store returns, um, thinking from like charity shops and stuff like that. And they're drowning in secondhand garments. They can't get rid of them fast enough. Like that some countries in Africa have actually banned like us shipping secondhand clothes to them because again they just end up in the landfill they end up having to be burnt so when we think of a way i think we need to rethink like where they're going away to as well hey whilst we're at the midway point of today's episode don't forget if you have a subject you'd like me to cover on the age of plastic podcast maybe your own eco life hack you've discovered you'd like to share or you've just got a comment for me send me a letter only kidding Uh, find us on instagram and facebook just search for age of plastic podcast and i'm on twitter andrea underscore fox and you can also send me a message via my website iamandreafox.co.uk okay back to today's age of plastic podcast guest yeah there, there just is no away and it's so true there's no away even for our clothing as well and you're right this like we touched on already like the consumerism you can't keep gifting clothes away to charity or to a clothing recycling bin just so you can get more in the other door because that's not gonna that's not gonna save us at all no I know and I think that's where it's been really nice to see the introduction of brands and sustainable sustainable companies in general especially in the fashion industry who are being like we are only producing x amount of this collection like especially like as you said like bad song safety like you know you order in advance they will produce a limited number and then you will receive that within like a number of weeks the whole ethos of slow fashion is fantastic but i think like the limited like stock drop collections are just a brilliant brilliant way of managing the fashion industry and it also builds up that excitement again that you you order something that you know there's only going to be like five of them available you have to wait for it which is so different to the kind of like you know that instantaneous quick fix that we always want with fast fashion oh I need a top tonight so I'm going to get one for tonight and so I think that's really exciting as well yeah, I have to agree. And I, I ordered something from Birdsong like at the start of the pandemic and, it, and because, you know, they were keep making sure that they kept all of their workers safe, they were just closed for ages. And I was saying to someone when it arrived, like how long it had taken and they were absolutely, they just, it blew their mind because they were like, well, I just have Amazon Prime. And I was like, yeah, but I, no one was, no one could see I felt so much better about the fact that it had taken a while and I was so much more excited about it arriving. Um, but it's so funny is that we just kind of need to get out of that mentality of like instantaneous, like you say. And I think that's so nice when you speak to people about those things is the story. It's the story behind the brand as well that everyone falls in love with. You know, I love um, one of my favourite brands, Outland Denim. I'm sure you've heard of them as well, mm. but they're produced in Cambodia you know um James and his team work to end human trafficking and protect all these vulnerable women who have been like enslaved in sex industries and things like that and they're super super vulnerable and they spend years training them and they make these premium luxury denim um clothes that are the most gorgeous fabric and inside they stitch like their names um like who made this like and a little message and you know that's just so beautiful like that's so lovely and what you know that's so much better than a 30 pound you know pair of jeans from Zara yeah that being said not everyone not everyone can afford that so I know it is a balance yeah and that is a balance and um I do sort of I feel slightly conflicted about this because you know 
the likes of people will say, well, we need the likes of Zara. We need the likes of Primark. Sorry, Primark. Um, and well, when you look at the amount of clothing that we own now, apparently we've got 60 percent more in our wardrobe than we had like 15 years ago. Surely we could, if we just bought a bit less, we could afford to spend a bit more. Even if that means you are saving up for something from, I don't know, I don't want to say a fast fashion brand, but something that is sustainable from a brand that you wouldn't normally buy from or even a secondhand fast fashion or something from a charity shop. But I, I say that as something like coming from a massive like place of privilege. But I do feel like... I don't just because someone can't afford necessarily a sustainable high high end like you say jeans brand here in the UK I don't think that necessarily means we need to put that on a garment worker um in another country no. that to me like just is not that's like I don't see how you could ever justify that yeah the chase the chase of reducing value across the supply chain has always fallen like with the workers like that is the first thing where wages will get cut obviously and we know that's why everyone outsources to Asia but actually that's a myth in itself people always think that yeah the cheap production happens in like Vietnam Bangladesh no we obviously know that's not the case we know that it happens in Eastern Europe like fashion supply chains are nearshoring now so we can save extra money um even in the UK obviously every as you've seen with like the Boohoo Leicester scandal as well yes I was gonna say Leicester yeah completely completely oh it's such a mess why don't we all just run around naked honestly um <laughs> that's, re- that's reformation's catchphrase isn't it and um, we're like the second most sustainable option after being naked or something um, i do think there is almost a way for that to happen i think that's really where the government and policymakers come into play is making truly sustainable clothing affordable and t- taxing synthetic fibers etc to decentralize them from pollution i want to touch on that but first up let's just uh touch on a little bit of greenwashing from coca-cola so another little myth uh before we finish up coca-cola is committed to climate action and becoming sustainable because they've set science-based targets to reduce their greenhouse gas emissions is this a fact or is it a myth amy in my personal opinion (laughs) It's a myth. Like, <laughs> Coca-Cola has been voted by the um, Break Free from Plastic annual report as the world's biggest plastic polluter. And what they do is they do an audit of, like, um, plastic packaging that's been found and, like, where they recognise, obviously, the really obviously brand-recognised labels of the Coca-Cola owns. And they have net zero ambitions which is great but so do companies like shell so do companies like philip morris <laughs> like which is so ironic so i think people can sometimes see pr like press releases and they'd be like oh my god coca-cola is announced it's net zero to targets they are becoming sustainable that is not that is not entirely the case. Their head of sustainability in 2020 at Davos said that um, they weren't going to move from single-use plastic for Coca-Cola at the moment because they wanted to accommodate consumers. So they clearly thought that there was enough consumer demand for, um, you know, the same old plastic bottles that we've had for years and years and years that pollute everything. Um, Because 
that's what the customers wanted. But we know that. Nice to be blamed, isn't it? <laughs> customers don't know what they want until they give it to them. So if you give them a biographer, it'll be fine. Well, this is the thing, like you say, the customer is not always right. And it is, you know, why, you know, why are they blaming us? Why, why not let them lead the change? And another thing you've just reminded me of talking about Coca-Cola is the... Um, bottle buyback scheme which works across so many European countries you know you put your plastic bottle in the machine that you just bought it from and you get like a penny or 10 cents or whatever back um we were going to be bringing this in in the uk and surprise surprise that's been another sort of eco target that's been kicked down the road hasn't it gosh i didn't know that yeah i think there's there's just such a huge contention between environmental laws at the moment and you know the European Union have so many great things going, whether it's their circular economy action plan, the amount of money they're investing in their green recovery. Um, I just don't want to, I feel like we're going to fall out. Get left behind. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Okay. Well, I wanted to go back to the question that we just touched on a minute ago. I wanted to ask you as well, um, if there was anything that you could change right now, like a click your fingers, genie out of a bottle type moment you have a wish what would you change about you know fashion plastic the environment right now to try and curb climate change if you could if there was a genie if there was a bottle if we did have magic fingers boris i hope you're listening to this (laughs) (laughs) he's a big fan (laughs) Uh, number one for me is like the most macro thing ever is we just need carbon taxes that effectively price carbon to incentivize businesses at like this urgent speed that we need them to to decarbonize um and start measuring their their scope one to three emissions properly and effectively with science-based targets and i think until we have a carbon tax that really makes businesses pay the true cost of their impact on the environment and humans i think yeah we're gonna we're gonna be in a bit of a sticky situation if we want to get to a 1.5 degree pathway which is extremely ambitious at the moment and this is going to be a really big thing addressing article 6 at cop 26 in november um because for cop 25 they just kind of like skirted around the issue um and it is it is like the elephant in the room at the moment yeah. And Boris is like, oh, we don't want to, we don't want to add too much of a tax to the meat industry because we love the great British banger. It's like, are you crazy? It's like, shut up. <laughs> he just speaks like a child, doesn't he? Just like a child. Like, oh, but- talking about bangers. Good Lord. <laughs> but I do think, I do think the carbon tax would also be great from a fashion perspective as well, because some of the biggest fashion brands you know even when we look at luxury conglomerates which are making moves to really lead the way in sustainability still have trouble measuring their scope one to three greenhouse gas emissions Mm. and even more so in disclosing it so i think a carbon tax would really like push that the industry in the right direction on that front too yeah it's amazing and we talk about you know green recovery and green jobs if if companies were forced to do that all of a sudden you'd need a lot more people who were you know capable of providing that data for them right no uh, yeah absolutely and i think there is so much when we talk about green industries especially in technology there's so much investment to be made in really amazing um digital technologies that can help us like measure these things across supply chains as well 
Yeah, yeah, completely. Oh, I've had such fun chatting to you. You've just, yeah, everything that you talk about and everything that I read on your page and your blog just makes my, my head ping. It's amazing. Um, but we'd always ask our guests the same two questions. We're still sticking with it. I've not changed them. Um, <laughs> we are called The Age of Plastic, but it is a good material. Um, you know, I'm talking to you via the wonder of the internet on my laptop with my microphone here. There's definitely some plastic Everywhere. in those. Yeah. <laughs> but is there a item in your life that you're quite glad of because it happens to be made of plastic? Oh, I know. This is really bad and I do need to buy a soda stream, but I really <sighs> love sparkling water. So I do buy sparkling water. Oh, that yeah my um father-in-law absolutely loves the fizzy water and uh yeah he, they his my husband's family got us into the soda stream do it you'll never look back yeah um, <laughs> <laughs> um awesome I, yeah sorry busted um so well this is the thing isn't it like we've been discussing it's not Maybe down it's exactly and it's not down to consumers to fix it all and i really hope that you're, if you're listening to this podcast right now and you're like oh no i just bought a item that I thought was great because it was made from recycled synthetic material like it's just knowledge you you love that item you wear it for as long as you possibly can you know um and I think that's that's the thing I just want to get across with this podcast we're all like learning and doing a little bit better and like you said as well don't let perfect be the enemy of the good we've already said it on this podcast already so yeah no shame no judgment here (laughs) that's so true and just like even engaging in the conversation is a really positive step in the right direction as well because it empowers us so that we know for future yeah a hundred percent and finally then amy who is your uh, environmental hero oh my environmental hero do you know how i really love is Nicole Rycroft and she is the founder of an NGO called Canopy and they do lots of stuff to do with protecting endangered forests and woodlands and Canopy actually have a viscose report so viscose is a man-made cellulosic fiber and part of it is part synthetic but they get the cellulose obviously from trees so it's about protecting um endangered and like beautiful forests in like Indonesia from basically being destroyed in the name of this coast and they help fashion brands work with clean and responsible suppliers so i just love her i think she's great and she's just so passionate and yeah she's a g she's great i love g love it i love that that's an amazing one i love it when it's always like someone we haven't heard of on the podcast as well before that's a brilliant one love that oh amy from sustainable and social thank you so much for joining me on the age of plastic podcast Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure to speak to you. Basically, just had loads of fun chatting to Amy. Um, I hope that everything I said came across the way I wanted it to. Obviously, speaking as a person with loads of privilege in this space, so I do have the choice to shop a bit more sustainably, although I do think there are options at every price point. Anyway, if you have thoughts on that, you can get in touch. All of the socials are wherever you are listening right now. And how brilliant is Amy? If you'd like to hire her, if you're after a sustainable strategist for your company or business or you just want to learn more i highly recommend signing up to her brilliant monthly newsletter i also make sure you follow her if you're on social media sustainable and social is what you need to search for and as always we'll have all of the links to loads of the topics that we touched on in the show notes wherever you are listening today 
Okay, on to today's eco life hack, something that hopefully you can literally do as of today to try and be that little bit more sustainable. Uh, Cora balls. Now, this is a thing I learned from our guest today, Amy from Sustainable and Social. Um, Cora balls are basically, they're a, a little bit like guppy bags. If you're worried about microplastics coming off of your clothes and getting into our water streams, this is something that you chuck into your washing machine. It says that they basically act in the same way that coral filters particles. Uh, So yeah, no need to stuff things into a guppy bag, uh, or if like me, your guppy bags have seen better days and probably need to be sent back to the guppy bag manufacturers to be turned into a new guppy bag, um, then yeah, check out Cora Ball. I'll put a link to them in the show notes. Well, I hope you enjoyed your weekly dose of me babbling at you. If you'd like to leave a review, then please do on Apple Podcasts. Let me know what you think of the podcast and the guests. Coming up next week, plastic alternatives. We're talking packaging uh, with Rich Harry's from Biopack. That is next week on the Age of Plastic podcast. Until then, uh, keep safe, wash your hands, wear a mask. <laughs>